Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, there's a lot of news about the Iran nuclear deal, but we want to know more about what daily life is like for women in Iran. Anne speaks to author Masi Alinajad on what Western feminists get wrong and her upcoming book, The Wind in My Hair. Hey girl. Hey. Oh, how's it going? You know, it's going. <laughs> the, the the most dismissive and yet accurate two-word answer to that question. <laughs> it's going. Um well, okay, I have a a stimulating treat for you today. I'm so excited. What's going on? I interviewed the Iranian journalist and writer Masi Alinajad who oh awesome yeah who is at the forefront of the campaign against the compulsory hijab in iran specifically um but who has really started and amplified a lot of the social media efforts among women in iran to document themselves without a hijab and like moving through the world and the kinds of things that people say to them and in some cases like more in an overt protest way she's written a book now that is kind of part autobiography and part about this issue that she feels so strongly about. I can't wait to hear about it. And I do want to say, too, that like she mentions on this issue specifically a couple of activists and thinkers and people who I really respect and love and has um, has a really different perspective on them, like through the lens of this one issue that she cares about so deeply. And so I think that's always interesting, too, right? Like the sense of if we agree on one big important thing, like, you know, women's rights or human rights, then we're maybe going to agree on like all these other little striations underneath that and the ways that that's enacted. And sometimes like the truth is like you can be really similar to someone politically, demographically and aligned on the broader goal while at the same time, maybe not being on the same page about things that fall underneath that. And so like that's something that this conversation sparked for me that I think is both difficult and necessary at the same time. Yeah, you know, I'm really curious to hear about it from the perspective of someone who grew up in a conservative Muslim home Mm -hmm. because I've been really heartened to see a lot of conversation about the hijab in in the context of feminism and in the context of, like, personal choices that women make, but also, you know, in the context of, like, political oppression, really. And a lot of people feel very differently about this. Like, some people think, well, you know, if you choose to wear it, it's your choice— But in some countries, you don't choose to wear it. And so I'm really curious to hear, like, from somebody who is an activist and just really in tune to that sensitivity about it. Can't wait. Yeah. So she gets into those details. And we should say, and she'll reiterate this, too, that she the campaign is against compulsory hijab. And so, like, if someone is wanting to wear it and feeling great and that's 100 percent fine. It's more about the yeah, the kind of social, political and like actually enforced um, compulsion to do so that that's at the heart of this conversation. My name is Masih Alinejad. I'm an Iranian journalist and um, a campaigner against compulsory hijab. Amazing. Masih, thank you for being on the podcast today. 
Thank you for having me. So your memoir is called The Wind in My Hair. And I'm wondering if you can start by talking about what that title means to you or why you why you chose that for the book. The Wind in My Hair. I think uh, <laughs> many Iranian women, they, uh, they understand when I talk about the wind in my hair, how it feels and how it means. From the age of seven, you have to cover your hair from the day that you start going to school. And in public, when you don't see the police around, then you can, you can, you know, take off your headscarf in stealth, in secret, when you don't see any morality police around. And this is the moment that you feel the wind through your hair, which is, I call it uh, like guilty pleasure. It's, it's, it's <laughs> amazing feeling. So um, for me, it's, it's not just about the wind. It's about you know, my personal freedom. It's about happiness. It's about my identity. It's about, you know, the philosophy behind compulsory hijab when I talk about the wind in my hair. It's about, you know, um, saying no to men, to the law, uh, telling us, the women, how to behave and what to wear and how, you know, uh, what kind of lifestyle to choose and live inside Iran. And so for our listeners who are not familiar, um, maybe you could talk a bit about how My Stealthy Freedom began, the origins of that. You know, I was a parliamentary journalist when I was in Iran, and my main focus was about human rights and political freedom, you know, freedom of speech. And um, when I left Iran in 2009, I was just covering the story of those protesters inside Iran who got killed. So I interviewed the family of 57 people who got shot and killed and tortured to death in prison. But one day I just felt, you know, my, my um, heart was broken. Like I needed something else. I needed to think about my own self as well. So I just went out and I took a picture of myself in a beautiful street in London when I was running and feeling the wind in my hair. So I just published that picture on my Facebook page with this caption. Anytime when I run in a beautiful street or when I feel the wind in my hair in a free country, it just reminds me of the time when my hair was like a hostage in the hands of Iranian government. And I was like receiving a lot of comments from Iranian women envying at my freedom from compulsory job. Soon after, I found another picture of myself which was taken inside Iran, being unveiled, driving, to, you know, down toward the road, like toward my hometown. And I published that with another caption. I know there are many of you, the women in Iran, who know how to bypass the authority and create stealthy freedom. If you have the same pictures, would you want to share it with me? I was like bombarded by pictures from Iranian women. You know, so many beautiful pictures of themselves, like sending to me saying that this is my true self. They were all unveiled. And at that time, I just thought that these women want to talk about personal freedom. Yes, freedom of speech is important. Political freedom is important. But we have to talk about personal freedom as well. We have to talk about compulsory job because it's not it's not a piece of cloth. It's about human rights. It's about our dignity. That is why I started to to launch uh, a campaign. I mean, on my Facebook page and I created a page called My Stealthy Freedom and I invited women to share their photos and videos and talking about 
their personal freedom, talking about compulsory hijab. So because I strongly believe freedom is freedom. Stealthy freedom cannot scare any government. But when you talk yeah. about it loud, then it can scare the government and it, it can empower the, the, the women to, to express themselves. Yeah, so it's it's sort of morphed, right, from My Stealthy Freedom to White Wednesdays to Girls of Revolution Street. Is that right, in terms of how you talk about this campaign? Y- yes, that's true, because for four decades, we never had the chance to be heard. But after My Stealthy Freedom, we even managed to make the president of Iran to hear us. Because when our president went to France, there were two journalists taking a picture from my Stealthy Freedom campaign and confronted the president of Iran with a picture and asking about compulsory hijab. And all the Friday prayers inside Iran, all the uh, media outside Iran, they were talking about uh, our campaign and Iranian women who do not want to wear compulsory hijab. And I thought... Now we have to we have to shift the uh, the online movement to something offline, something into public. That is why I picked a day, Wednesday, and I picked the color white because, in my opinion, white is a color of peace. So I invited people to take the street, and if they want, they can wear a white symbol or they can take off their headscarf. And again, I was like. I didn't really expect that men and those women who believe in hijab can join those women who do not want compulsory hijab and sending videos to me. I was bombarded by so many videos from brave women walking like in public and showing their face and and talking loud and powerful and sending the messages to the government of Iran saying that we the women of Iran had the fear inside us for more than, you know, 30 years, for almost four decades. And now we are not scared of you and we want to be heard. And that is how White Wednesday campaign started. But now it's gaining momentum in Iran. Everyone talking about it. And women are fearless and full of hope. Women are like, they, they are out of control right now. I I have been so inspired. I mean, especially because so many of the photos and videos that they're posting are from their perspective. And often they're capturing what people are saying to them, the, the responses that they're getting in public. And often, as you say, it's not pleasant. I am in constant awe of the way these women are unafraid to continue being in public the way they want to be, given what the kinds of things people are saying to them that they're documenting. Exactly. You know what? I remember once when I was in London, there was a guy stopped me and he was a pro-government supporter. He was he was supporting the government of Iran. So he was Iranian. He stopped me in, in, in the airport in London and he was like, um, naming me and shaming me and calling me ugly. He was telling me that you ugly woman ruining the image of Iran by talking about compulsory hijab. You don't care about the reputation of our country. You're betraying our country. You're so ugly and disgusting. And he, he broke my heart. First, I got really scared. And then I just ran after him and I said, hey, you called me ugly. Can you tell what you said on my camera? And then mm-hmm. he got scared and he said that, no, 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 you know, I, I was just saying like, um, so he changed his mind. And I said, yes, I won because now you're scared of my camera. Mm. That is why I just published that, that story. I filmed myself and I published that story on my Instagram. And I said, look, 
my camera, my, my mobile is my weapon. So you can use it. You can use it in front of anyone who harasses you, who bother you, who interfere in your personal uh, freedom in the street and just send a film to me. And then, you know, it was just all about our personal life. And, 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 and then again, I received a lot of videos from men and women and saying that, yes, this mobile phone is like a weapon because the government of Iran, they have guns and bullets. They have m- money, power, prison. They have all the national TVs and media. But all we have is just a mobile phone and camera. And we, we expose their violence by filming them and capturing those people who are attacking us and saying like what to wear, how to behave, what kind of lifestyle should we follow. We have been facing morality police uh, for years and years, but now thanks to social media, giving the people of Iran the power to break the censorship, to open the eyes of the rest of the world toward the true face of Iran, the face of Iran which has been hidden for 40 years, you know, all, when you turn on the TV in Iran, all you see is just women in hijab. But the true Iran is not like that. The true Iran is like my family. You know, my mom, my sister, they wear hijab, but I don't want to wear hijab. So Iran should be for both of us, for for all of us, not just for, you know, those people who want to wear hijab. And I think now people of Iran using the social media and representing the true Iran to the rest of the world. Yeah, and I have to imagine that sometimes people get confused um, by the difference between opposing compulsory hijab and opposing hijab. Because as you say, there's a difference there, right? Like you're fine with people, women dressing however they want to dress. Is that correct? Yeah, I think those people who get confused, I think... They don't get confused. They don't want to hear us. They have an agenda. Let me be honest (laughs) with you, especially in America, especially in America. You know why? Because I'm being so clear. I say that loud many times and I invited all the Muslim community to join me, all the Western feminists to join me, all the Western female politicians to join me. And I, I was so loud telling them that I am not against hijab. I am against compulsory hijab and compulsory hijab is not part of our culture. And I invited all these feminists around the world that when you go to Iran, do not obey compulsory hijab without thinking about those women who are putting themselves in danger to condemn compulsory hijab, to fight against compulsory hijab. So these female politicians and the, uh, the feminists in the West, they know what we are fighting against, but they don't want to talk about it because they think that if we talk about compulsory hijab, then we might cause Islamophobia. But this is wrong. Because we are not causing Islamophobia. These Sharia laws and compulsory hijab law itself causing Islamophobia. So I am not against Islam, but all the Islamic laws, you know, are against me and the women in Iran. So we are fighting against restriction and we are fighting against these Sharia laws. So if you condemn the compulsory hijab laws or any oppression which is happening in Islamic countries, that doesn't make you Islamophobic. And second, they think this is a law. You know, a law should be respected. And the, the, the Western feminists or Western female politicians who go to my country, they cannot break the law. 
you know, it's just, it, it is ridiculous because Burkini ban was a law as well. Mm-hmm. Slavery used to be legal as well. You cannot say that because it's a law, we have to respect the law. A bad law should be challenged to make it a respectable law. And another reason, third reason, that they think this is a small issue. And Middle East has got so many bigger problems. That is why they don't want to talk about this small piece of cloth. But if it's a small issue, have you ever thought about it? That you will be kicked out. Doesn't matter you are, you know, um, Angela Merkel or you are the first lady of United States of America or you are the high representative of European Union. If you just do not wear the, the compulsory job, the small piece of cloth, you will be kicked out from the airport in Iran. So how can, how you can say this is a small issue when within a year, 3.6 million women were warned, stopped and sent to the court just because of having a bad hijab, inappropriate hijab. This is not a small issue when the government of Iran do not let you to, to get an education, to get a job, to live in your own country, if you don't wear this small piece of cloth. This is about our dignity and identity. And another thing that the female politician and Western feminists do not want to talk about it, it's because they think this is an internal matter. This is totally wrong because the government of Iran forcing all non-Iranian, all the tourists and Western female politicians to wear hijab. As far as the government of Iran forcing all non-Iranians, non-Muslim women to wear hijab, it's a global issue. It's about you. So that is why we do not invite the Western feminists to come and save us. Actually, we, the Iranian women, <laughs> want to save them and, and make them understand that this is a discriminatory law. And if you are a true feminist, you have to join us and keep the sisterhood and be our voices and stand up for your own dignity. about your message like I mean definitely not all of our listeners are in America but I would wager a good percentage of them are feminist identified women who live in the United States other than talking about this issue and amplifying what we see on social media happening in terms of White Wednesdays and Girls of Revolution Street what do you want to see from women in my position or women in the US who call themselves feminists just do not ignore your sisters and do not legitimize compulsory hijab by um, saying that this is not our issue. It is your mm-hmm. issue, you know, it is about you. Like when Burkini ban happened in, in France, what, would, what, what was your reaction? You know, we all women around the world, we were loud and we condemned Burkini ban. We, we wanted to, to stand up with, our, you know, with the women in, in France, but why? I don't understand why when it happens 
in, in Iran, in Islamic Republic of Iran. I see a lot of uh, female politicians, or as, as you said, that the tourists or people like you, when you travel to Iran, you have to think about it. At least just ask a question. This is really important. You know, I see that Deutsche Gabbana here, H&M, um, Nike, they all supporting my Muslim sisters in United States of America by um, promoting hijab, which is important. They care about Muslim minority, which is beautiful. But when you keep totally silent about the other side, that this piece of cloth, hijab, can be the most visible symbol of oppression, then you are actually empowering the Islamic Republic of Iran to put more pressure on women. Let me tell you how. The government of Iran, when they see that, um, you know, all the Western feminists supporting hijab without even saying a single statement against compulsory hijab, or when they, the government of Iran see that the high representative of the European Union or the female politicians going to Iran and obeying compulsory hijab without challenging it, they're using that in different ways on Iranian state TV, in the parliament. I myself interviewed a Friday prayer, and he said the same. He said that, look, even the high representative of European Union respecting our culture, uh, who are you daring to challenge our culture? That's wow. why, yeah, you see, that is why many women, there are many girls of revolution streets who went on a platform, putting their headscarf on a stick, waving that in public, and they were pushed down from the platform. They were bitten up in prison. So they paid the price. Why? Because they wanted to make an awareness for people like you or other feminists in the West to understand that when we fight against a discriminatory law, do not legitimize that law. You know, I had a, I had a debate with um, Linda Sarsour on CNN, and then she was actually uh, sup- uh, saying that um, I, am, I am supporting my sister in Iran. I'm supporting their fight in Iran. I am wearing hijab. That doesn't mean I am supporting compulsory hijab. I am, of course, supporting my sisters in Iran. But be honest with me. When I go to your social media, there is no way that you can find you have been supporting your sisters in Iran who were beaten up who were pushed down from the platform and who are still in prison just protesting against compulsory job. I am saying that just talk about it loud. Just say, say that loud and, and be the voice of those women inside Iran who are putting themselves in danger to, to, to fight compulsory job. If you're supporting the women of Iran, that doesn't make you look Islamophobic. You know, that makes you actually um, uh, look like a true feminist because the women of Iran, um, now that they, they, they don't have any voice inside Iran. And, and, and they are brave and strong. And by ignoring them, honestly, you're just empowering the government of Iran to put pressure on us. So I... I don't want I to think be that about, cruel, but... No, is, it's not true. cruel at all. It's real. Yeah. I, I don't want to be cruel, but it's really, it's really true that those Western uh, female politicians who go to my country and the same day that there was a girl of revolution called Shaparak Shajariza, that was bitten up and arrested just because of waving her headscarf. At the same day, 
they there were um, the female politician from Netherlands meeting the president of Iran, and they all wore hijab without even asking a single question. That breaks our heart. You know why? Because you are actually empowering the government of Iran, but you calling yourself feminist. The the minister of uh, Sweden published a picture of herself with a hat, and she said. Actually, she wrote on her Facebook, wearing a job, it's like wearing a hat. How come you can be so cruel calling compulsory a job like a hat? And I actually, I wrote to her that, have you ever been bitten up just because of wearing a hat in Sweden? No. Have you ever been kicked out from a school just because of wearing a hat in your country? You have to be loud if you are a true feminist. Well, and I feel, you know, in that example, it's a perfect example because I do feel a lot of times women and like women politicians in the West are trying to, are being responsive to Islamophobic elements in their own societies at home and are not thinking about a global audience, like an audience of women within Iran when they do things like that. They're only thinking about sending a specific signal to, let's be honest, Islamophobic, probably white men in their home countries. Like they're not thinking about a, a big audience for this issue or like the the bigger meaning. And I think that's a triumph of anti-Islam hate groups, frankly. You know, I mean, it's like, it's it, it has this um, multiplying effect. From, from, from the age of seven, I remember, because I grew up in a poor family, I, I kept hearing like, Shh, this is not the right time because we are poor and we have to think about the bread and money. And then we had war in our country. And it's still, when we wanted to talk about uh, women's rights, people were saying, shh, this is not the right time because of war. And then we had sanction. We had revolution. Every time when we wanted to talk about women's rights, there were people saying, shh, this is not the right time. Now, we don't have war. We don't have sanction. But now, in America, they say, shh, you have to keep quiet. It's not the right time to talk about Mm. compulsory job because of Islamophobia. So you see, for years and years and years, there are some reasons to keep us silent. That is why I want to say that. But in my opinion, anytime that you feel you're being oppressed, do not victimize yourself. Just be loud and talk about women's rights. So I don't care people saying that because of Islamophobia, because of this, because of that. I want to talk about my personal freedom, especially about compulsory job, because when the government of Iran do not let you to control your head and what you're putting on your head, then they are not going to let you to control what's going on inside your head. They're going to control your thoughts and opinion and ideas as well. That is why, just forget about those people saying, shh, this is not the right time. (laughs) In my opinion, those people who are really scared of being labeled as Islamophobic, they never... They never had the experience to live in a country which those government has women, women phobia. You know, when you are a woman in the Middle East, you understand what I'm saying. The, the government of Iran is scared of us and they have women of phobia. If I, if I, I just created the word. <laughs> <laughs> so now when I see in the West, they have Islamophobia. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me um, when they keep silent because we 
fight with the government of Iran. And, and um, now I think we have to uh, fight against any kind of label and be brave condemning uh, any discriminatory laws. So on the very first page of your memoir, you write, if you let your fear win, the darkness can devour you, which is beautiful and powerful. And I'm wondering, you know, as someone whose life has been threatened, who is doing, who's taking great personal risk to do this work, I'm curious about how you keep fear from winning. How do you, how do you make that true in your own life? Oh my God, this is a difficult question because sometimes I, I'm really scared of the, you know, the, the, the darkness, the government, the brutality of the Islamic Republic of Iran. The fear is not something that you can, you can deny it. But the thing is, um, I, when I was a child, um, so uh, we didn't have a bathroom inside the house. We had outdoor bathroom. During the night, it was really difficult. The darkness was just horrible. And we had to go out with my little brother. I remember my mom used to telling me that when you see the darkness, when you're scared of something, just open your eyes wider. The darkness will go away. And I, I believed her. And I, and I thought, yeah, that, that helped me a lot. Then I grew up with this, you know, um, magic way of... Uh, fighting the darkness. When I was, you know, getting a shout from the MPs, what, because I was a parliamentary journalist as well, and they expelled me from the parliament. But I remember there was a picture of me standing up when the MPs inside the parliament shouting at me. And the picture actually shows that I'm really strong and brave, but it was not the, like that. Because my mom told me, open your eyes wider Instead of just running away from the MPs, I was just standing up. And this is the way that I grew up. I think now Iran is the same. The, the situation of human rights in Iran is like my, my uh, village house. It's full of darkness. The torture, prison, they're killing people, they're arresting people. People can only win this darkness and the fear if they open their eyes wider. The darkness will go away. But if you're scared then nothing can happen. You will die in your, your fear. For 40 years, we, the people of Iran, had the fear inside us. But I'm, 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 I'm sure that now, this is the government of Iran that fears the, the women, the people of um, you know, Iran. Last question, because um, sure. obviously uh, women listening to this in the West and the United States are going to be able to go out and buy your book and read your memoir. But I'm wondering about women within Iran and whether they will be able to access your writing about this topic. Oh, that's a good question, you know, because the, <laughs> um, the government of Iran expelled me from my country, but they couldn't take my country away from me. Uh, I, I remember my mom used to telling me when somebody kicked you out from a room uh, and they locked the door. So just look for a window. Now social media is my window. And I'm sure through social media, <laughs> there I'm going to invite the, the women of Iran. I'm going to talk about my book through social media. I'm going to tell them about my book and my stories every day through social media. This is the only way that I can be in Iran. I can talk to people and I can be in touch with my family and my memories inside Iran. 
Oh, yeah. I love that. And you're making me feel good about social media, which I haven't in a while. So no, this is great. <laughs> I know that in the West, it's totally, you know, when I left Iran to study in Oxford Brookes University, I had a lot of classmates and they were just using the social media for um, publishing their pictures from party or, you know, showing their shoes, their beautiful dress. <laughs> and for me, my Facebook page was full of like, uh, the story of those people who got tortured, death into prison. So, and I was like, oh my God, they don't want to have, they get all remove me. They don't want to, you know, have my, my Facebook page because it's just full of sorrow and sad stories. And then I just, you know, I thought, oh my God. So one day I'm going to have, I mean, the social media, I'm going to use the social media like the way that people in the West using that, you know, just dancing, having party and showing the, the true life. That's, that's, that's what was my dream that day. But it's still we're fighting <laughs> and yeah. using social media like this. So never, um, never blame social media. <laughs> well, hopefully our conversation has inspired a few more people to post fewer party photos and <laughs> amplify some more of these stories instead, because I would love that to be the result. Masi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so Masi's book, The Wind in My Hair, My Fight for Freedom in Modern Iran, will be published later this month. So you should definitely check it out. The Wind in My Hair. I love that. I know. That. It's so good. Thanks for sticking with me through a complex and uh, deep convo today. <laughs> hey, listen. Hello from down under. <laughs> <laughs> are you should have probably I, I should have been like uh are you on vacation is it okay that we go heavy today <laughs> so heavy the heaviest you have my heart always oh you can find us many places on the internet on our website callyourgirlfriend.com you can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review you can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. See you on the internet several time zones away. Bye.